0: take our Bibles today. Turn over to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 13. We're going to uh, probably, we're not really going to open up by reading a bunch of scripture because we're going to focus our attention on two chapters. Chapter 13 and chapter 14 today is what we're going to look at in the book of Numbers. And of course it's I want that mountain campaign and I don't know if any I want that mountain campaign could possibly be complete without a message on Caleb and we're going to talk about Caleb today a little bit and uh, boy he wanted a mountain and eventually he got it we're going to talk about Caleb a little bit today we have a short time we're going to move quickly today as I mentioned already we're going to be taking up that I that uh, for his glory offering so we're going to get that moving along as well we'll get you out of here on time let's go ahead and look at Numbers chapter 13 and 14 let me give you just a little background. The children of Israel, of course, have... I'll tell you what, let's pray right off the bat. Father, we come to you. We need you now. We ask, Father, for your leadership in these next few moments, this next 30 minutes. Help our hearts to be stirred for you. God, encourage us. Help us, Father, just to focus our attention on what you are trying to tell us and how you want to get a hold of our hearts. Lord, there's so much at stake today. At times, we stand in a pulpit, we preach, or maybe we sit in a pew and listen We don't realize the significance of what's taking place, or sometimes we miss the real purpose and point of it all. It's not just so that we can come in, sit down, fulfill a responsibility, do our duty and go home. It's, Father, really an opportunity for the gospel to be given. It's an opportunity for our hearts to be stirred. It's, Father, the privilege of meeting with you in a very distinct and very personal way. Help us, Lord, now to focus our attention on you and not other distractions and things. May people not get up and move around, not go to bathrooms unless that I mean, literally, it's an emergency. And people sit through the service and into the, even into the altar call not be moving around. Unless it's absolutely necessary. Unless there's a phone call from the hospital. Unless there's a reason why somebody has to move. For, that They're just literally going to embarrass themselves and others around them otherwise. Father, again, this is a very special time, very important time. Father, I just pray you'd speak to our hearts and help us, Lord, to glean from your word and from your spirit what we need today. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, let me give you some background. We have the children of Israel, of course, that were in bondage for a number of years, over 400 years, actually. The children of Israel had um, cried out to God and God provided them a deliverer. And, of course, many of you may know already if you've watched... Uh, the Ten Commandments on television, you know that Moses was the one who delivered them out of Egypt. You know that God used that man to do a supernatural work. And after those ten plagues, ultimately, Pharaoh himself can't even resist God's power. And he finally says, go, just leave, get out of here. And so the children of Israel leave Israel, uh, leave um, um, My Egypt, excuse me. And as they leave Egypt, they spoil the land. Even it's an amazing thing what God did with them and how he used the people, even the Egyptians to provide for them. And so out of the land they go, and God blessed them, and God met their need, and God provided for them along in that journey, and ultimately he takes them to a mount where there Moses climbs that mount, and he's there 40 days and 40 nights, he receives the tablets, and there God literally with his finger writes out the Ten Commandments along with the law, and he gives the law to his people. So this is what I want you to do, this is how I want you to live, this is where I want you to go, and boy, I'll tell you what, he made it very clear what God's expectations were of his people. God brings them to the place now where he had promised them a land and and it's time for them to enter into that land. It's time for them to finally go into Canaan land. You know, that land of promise that God had said that he would give them. And we come to this point in the the story or in the account and we arrive at this chapter now and, and, and we're going to realize and we're going to recognize here that God wants to do something. But how will the people respond? Well, we're going to see that, first of all, Moses, this great man of God, is going to send a recon team in. going to recon the area. He's going to look it over. He wants to check it all out. So let's take our Bible, if you're there, in Numbers 13. Look at verse 17. Here's what takes place. The Bible says, And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. And said unto them, Get you up this way southward, and go up into the the mountain, and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be a good or bad, and what cities they be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds. He says, I want you to go recon the area. I want you to tell me what you see, what you've found. What's the strength of the people? Where's their weaknesses? What kind of uh, homes do they have? What kind of cities have they gotten built? Are they in tents? they in walled cities? What's going on in there? Recon the area. Hey, we do that to this day with our military. Matter of fact, even basketball teams and football teams do the same thing. They'll watch film. They'll watch tape, they call it. And they'll, they'll see what the weaknesses and the strengths are of other teams. They want to recon. They want to understand what's... what's they're up against. Moses did just that. So they recon the area. We see the recon here. But I want you to note the report that they received. Chapter 13, verse 26. These men go into that land, they do their job, they come back with a report. Chapter 13, verse 26 says, and they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel under the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and shewed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The children of Anak, as we're going to see, are giants. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites. The Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. He says, man, we came back. We saw what we wanted to see. And I'm going to tell you, it was a wonderful land. It was a prosperous land. It was a land filled with milk and honey. But let us tell you this, too. Before we get too excited, you need to understand there's a real enemy over there. They have walled cities. It's not going to be a cakewalk. And so we see the recon. We notice the report. But I want you to see the resolve of one man. I want you to look at this particular man. In chapter 13, verse 30, he says, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it. For we are well able to overcome it. Now again, the people started talking among themselves. Man, we've got this wonderful report. I mean, the land is a wonderful land. It looks sounds like a good deal. However, we're a little concerned about that enemy. Ultimately, they say, hey, don't you realize we're grasshoppers in their sight? Don't you realize we're very little, very tiny compared to the enemy over there? I don't know that we can go over there and conquer them. As I'm not sure that we can defeat them. I don't know that we can overcome them. I think maybe we might be better off to stay on this side. And Caleb stands up. I mean, Caleb, in, in spite of that report, he stands up with a resolve and he simply says in verse 30, he says, Hold on, everybody. Calm down, everybody. Just get a grip on it. Let us go up at once and possess it. For we are well able to overcome it. There's our Caleb there, see? There he is now his resolve but i want you to note the resistance chapter 30 13 again verse 31 says but the men that went up with him said we've be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we wow These are his companions, his compadres. These are his fellow servants. These are the men that he literally went into the land with. These are the princes of the people of God. These are the men who were the leaders. And they said, oh, no, no, Caleb, we hear what you're saying, but we can't defeat them. We can't do it. It's impossible. You ever been in a situation like that? Where God told you to do something and you felt like whatever God told you to do was impossible. That's exactly what the people of God felt like. These particular men felt the same way. And notice in verse 32, they go on to say, And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. He goes on to say, and there, was, there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Isn't that interesting? I want you to notice something very important here, and I've mentioned this before in the past, but I want you to see it if you haven't heard me say this. I want you to notice it says in verse 33, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. I want you to see that. It's very important to understand this. He says, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers compared to them. In our own sight, we were little in comparison to them. Now, here's what I want you to see now. And so, we were in their sight. Oh. Huh. So you mean... You saw yourself as little in their sight, and so they saw you as little in their sight. Do you know what you just learned there? When you see yourself little, you think everybody else does. You know why the small guy wears a chip on his shoulder? Because he thinks everybody else is calling him little. Because he sees himself little. Somebody sees himself big, doesn't go around picking fights with people, doesn't feel like he has to. Let me tell you something, these people felt little because they felt little. They, nobody nobody said, you're little people, you're a nothing, you're a nobody. They didn't even know why they were there. They were spying. They didn't even talk to the people probably. They didn't interact with people. They didn't want to draw attention to themselves. They were observing things. But yet they said, oh no, they saw us as little in their sight. How do you know that? No, they saw themselves little. And as a result of that, they they believed everyone else saw them that way. And you know what? You do the same thing. You go to work and you say to yourself, I'm nobody there. I, I, nobody, nobody cares about me there. Nobody, uh, nobody thinks that I'm able to accomplish my job. Nobody, everybody thinks I'm a loser. Everybody thinks I'm not worthy to be uh, promoted. Everybody feels that like I'm little over there. In a sense, you do that. And you know why? Because you, you feel that way. That's usually because you started that, all, that mess, because you got a bad self-image. You don't see yourself the way God sees you. I just want to encourage you. The next time you think everybody's looking down on you, maybe it's because you don't have a very good opinion of yourself in the in light of who God is. You know what? If you keep focusing on yourself, you will always feel little. Because there's nothing good about you, and there's nothing good about me, You better get your eyes on God and realize what He says you are. And all of a sudden, you will matter to yourself and to others only because you matter to Him. The recon, the report, the resolve, the resistance now. Oh, we can't go over there. Notice the remorse in chapter 14, verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would God we had died in this wilderness? Wow. And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? Wow, how quickly they're Song changed. I mean, one minute they're excited about potentially going into the land of promise. Now they're saying, man, would to God we just die here in the wilderness? would to God we just died in Egypt? Why don't we just go back to Egypt? This is ridiculous. All we're going to have is just, you know, uh, funeral after funeral is our children and our wives are prey to the enemy. That's, wow, that's, that's a pretty negative attitude. Got some remorse here. So what's that bring? A retreat. Chapter 14, verse 4. And they said one to another, Let us make a captain let us return into Egypt. Let's find somebody else to lead this group. We're sick of Moses. We're sick of Caleb. We're sick of Joshua. We're sick of anybody that has any positive outlook at all. Let's get rid of them. Let's get somebody that believes the way we believe, feels the way we feel. Let's go back to Egypt. What's the point? Better to eat leeks and... Onions than to be out here and die. Better to almost starve every day of our life. Better to be in bondage and enslaved by the Egyptians. Better to turn our young girls over to the Egyptian leaders and allow them to take advantage of them and do those things to them that are uncomely and unnecessary. Oh no, no, it's okay. It's better than us being out here and dying. That's what they were saying. So they, what? We're Ready to retreat. Give up. Go home. But I want you to note the reasoning, chapter 14, verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. Notice this. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb. There he is again. There's our Caleb. Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us. A land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land. For they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Fear them not. See the reasoning? What's the reasoning? Well, it's simple. Caleb and Joshua and Moses and Aaron are all on one side and all the people on the other and they're saying, Hold on. Before you get a captain, before you go back to Egypt, before you throw in the towel, don't forget who brought us here. God brought us here, and God gave us that land, and God said he'd deliver us, and God will. Just don't rebel against who? Moses? We don't like you anymore, Moses. We don't agree with your leadership. No. Rebel against who? Aaron? Aaron, we're not real happy with you. I mean, obviously, you know, you're following Moses, so we want you out too. Don't rebel against... Joshua? Joshua, you're the personal servant to Moses, and we don't agree with you. Uh, Rebel against Caleb? Caleb, you're one of the spies. I can't believe that you came back with the rest of them, and you're the only one that has a bad report. We're rebelling against your report. We're rebelling against you. Nope. Nope. That's not what the passage says. Don't rebel against God. See, Moses didn't bring them to that place. Aaron didn't bring them to that place. Joshua or Caleb didn't bring them to that place. God did. And now they look across the land and they say, "Woo we got the Jordan to cross. We've got walled cities to conquer. We've got a people that are giants that we're going to have to deal with. And all of a sudden, instead of looking to the Savior, they were looking at the circumstances. And let me tell you, they were giving up, retreating, and quitting. He said, don't do it. Let me reason with you a little bit. But notice verse 10, the rebellion in spite of it all. And all the congregation bade stone them with stones, <laughs> kill them, just kill them. It's pretty sad. Somebody said that's a little bit, that's a, that's a little bit excessive. But you know what? There are people in churches across America who wish their pastors would die. There are. You say that's impossible. Oh, yeah. Well, you got family members possibly that you wish would die. You got that friend that stabbed you in the back. You wish they'd die. You got that person that cut you off the other day. You wish they would die. I hope he gets in an accident for doing that. Really? Because he cut you off? You know what I'm saying. Oh, we'd never think that. Really? Oh, I, I've never either. I've never thought anything like that in my life. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm human. Now, we, all, we shouldn't think that way. And you know what? As we give Christ our life and as we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit and as we commit ourselves to the Word of God, that those feelings begin to rescind. And we don't think quite like that anymore. We realize that to think it is as bad as doing it in God's eyes. We don't want that on our conscience. We don't want that on the roll. We don't want that recorded in the, in the Word. We don't want that to be brought up at the judgment. But the fact is today is, listen, we're no better than they were. And you know what? God provides us opportunities and he says, here's what I have for you. And I want you to have this blessing. And all you have to do is go take it. And you say, just like I've said, and like so many others before us have said, "Uh, I don't know. That looks impossible. Seems impossible. Okay. Okay. And what do we do? We we rebel. And we don't obey God. Because we're afraid. Notice finally the result. Chapter 14, verse 22. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, God speaking, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them provoke me to see it. But my servant Caleb, there he is again. Good old Caleb. Why Caleb, Lord? because he had another spirit with him, hath followed me fully. Him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Well, that's good, isn't it? Notice verse 29, he restates it again. He says, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. That's pretty plain language. Someone says, I don't understand the King James. I think you got that one pretty good. You say, but well, what's that carcasses? Oh, you, you, I think you got it. You got it. You, you figured it out. Just think it through now. Use your imagination. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number from 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me. Notice God, murmured against me. You didn't murmur against Moses. You murmured against me. Doubtless you shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein. Save Caleb. There he is again the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Wow. So what are we to learn then? What, what do we note about Caleb? And Caleb's a pretty awesome person here. He's a, an amazing character in the Bible, isn't he then? He's very different. He's very unique. Of the thousands and millions even that left Egypt, of the millions of people that Moses was leading through the land, This wasn't Moses now. This wasn't Aaron, the high priest. This wasn't even Joshua, Moses' personal assistant and servant. This was just one of the men that went on the journey, that went out to recon the land. He alone stands up and says, I don't want to take the position everyone else does. I don't have the same feelings everyone else does. I don't have the same outlook everyone else does. I'm going to stand in opposition to the whole crowd, and I'm going to stand for God. This is a very unusual man. What can we learn from him? First of all, I want you to see that Caleb trusted. Caleb trusted. See, again, Caleb had another spirit, the Bible says. A different spirit. Instead of the spirit of rebellion, he had the spirit of trust in the Lord. He was trusting God. He trusted God. That's an amazing thing. You know, the Bible warns us not to trust in some things. You know what it tells us not to trust in? Let me just give you a few of them, because there's a number of them. But number one, it te- he tells us not to trust in money. Not to trust in money. First Timothy 6 17 says, charge them that are rich in this world. By the way, by the way, before we even move past this statement, because everybody shut down right there. Rich, that's not me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't apply to me. My friend, if you would go to the Philippines, if you would go to Africa. If you would go to certain third world countries and even many other countries in this world, you will find that you are the richest people in the world. You have more money, disposable income than anybody around the world. If America doesn't reach people with missionaries, then woe on the world because we have the money to give it. You say, we don't have any money. Yes, we do. Look how much money our government wastes, including the money that we give them. And by the way, this is an interesting thing. I really wasn't going to talk about it, but I'm going to mention it anyway. Isn't it funny that the government doesn't even give you all your money and then ask you for their part? They take it right off the top. That's something. God at least gives it to you and then says, take it off the top. The government takes it off, you're gross. You know what God wants it from? Gross. Why is God such a big bully in our eyes, but the government's just, well, that's their job to be dumb, steal my money? I said, God's going to bless you. The government will never do anything to bless you, not if you're a tax paying citizen. <laughs> I ain't got a free phone yet. I'm just <laughs> still waiting on mine. I don't know sorry, I didn't mean to offend anybody, but I'm just telling you right now, it seems like they keep asking more from me, and I don't get a thing extra for it. I just get to pay more for insurance. Sorry. You said say, ah, you're getting political. Whatever. I want you to understand something. God, God has your best interest in mind, though. You'll never give God something and, and, and regret it. You'll never do that. Never. Well, you may regret it, possibly, but if you knew the outcome of it, you wouldn't. Put it that way. I hope I never regret giving. If I do, it's because I lost proper perspective. But nonetheless, we see the rebellion here. Now, we saw the result there, and we see that Caleb trusted money. Don't trust your money. Charge them that are rich in the world. He's talking to us Americans right now. He's talking to all Americans, including those that are on disability, including those that even have Social Security checks, because you have more than any third-world country in the world has. Just look at the television you watch. Consider the, 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 the music you listen to. Consider the access you have to food. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Trust in God, he says. See, in the end, God gives us everything anyway. It's never really ours to begin with. Don't trust in your money. Don't trust in your finances. Don't trust in your 401k. Don't trust in your job. Don't trust in those things. Don't think those things are going to deliver you through the wilderness and into the promised land. Don't trust in man, the Bible says. He says in Psalms 9, it is better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Don't trust your government. Don't trust mankind. Don't trust people to meet your needs. Don't trust men, women, to get you through the wilderness and into the promised land. Don't do that. You'll be sadly disappointed. Don't trust methods. Your own methods, your own ideas, your own counsels. In Isaiah fifty-five, eight, nine, 9, the Bible says, For my thoughts, my thoughts, the Lord says, are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Has anyone ever thought this through for a second? God knows more than me. You ever figured out? And you need to say that. Don't go, yeah, you're right, preacher. He knows more than you. <laughs> you know, you're right, preacher. No doubt about that one. No, I'm saying, have you thought that through? Have you asked yourself or thought to yourself, God knows more than me? Just because I think something's right doesn't make it right. I better make sure God says it's right. Just because I think it's good doesn't make it good. I better check and see what God thinks. Because His thoughts are not my thoughts always. And His ways are not always my ways. And just because I think I should go this direction, and this is how I ought to handle the situation, maybe I ought to consult the one and only Don't trust your own ways, your own methods, your own thoughts. Trust His. So we've got to be careful. Man, I'm going to tell you something. Caleb steps up to the promised land. He even goes in and recons it. He comes back and says, we can do this. And they're all going, how in the world can we do this? We don't have the money. We don't have the energy. We don't have the army. We don't have the assets. We don't have the ability. How are we supposed to overcome them walled cities? How are we supposed to get victory over those fortified homes? How are we supposed to deal with all those giants in the land? That's impossible. We're struggling to feed our people. We're struggling to have water enough to drink. And you're telling us we're going to go in there and win a battle, a war? And he's going, you don't get it. You're looking at all those things. I'm just looking at him. He's big enough to do it. Just like he was big enough to do it for David, he's big enough to do it for me. Just like he's big enough to do it for Noah, he's big enough to do it for me. Just like he was big enough to do it for Joseph in, 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 in Egypt there, as he was sold into slavery and then ultimately raised him to second in command of the entire nation, he's able to deliver me through the wilderness and able to deliver you into the promised land. God can do the impossible. He trusted God. Not only did he trust, but then he traveled. Man, for 40 years, 40 years, Caleb's over here in in the wilderness, walking around, meandering about, dealing with the problems and all the death that takes place because others were unwilling to obey God. Not him. Oh, but you know, he could have easily gotten bitter. He could have easily been angry with people. He could have easily said, you know what, you people are a bunch of losers. If it wasn't for you, I'd be sitting right now in the Taj Mahal. But instead, I'm in this wilderness. No, he just traveled. He obeyed God. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. When you trust in the Lord, he provides you with direction. You trust in the Lord, he provides you with deliverance. When you trust in the Lord, he provides you with delight. He helps you to find the rainbow at the end, or the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. That's what I meant to say. He helps you to see things with the right perspective. He helps you to keep going with the proper outlook and attitude. God enables those things. He traveled with a positive attitude, a good outlook. And then finally, last but not least, Caleb triumphed. He triumphed. Turn, if you would, to Joshua 14. All the way to Joshua. Turn to the right, to Joshua 14. We're going to read a a number of... Verses here, and then we're going to make a conclusion. But notice here in Numbers chapter 14. Notice the triumph. He trusted God. He traveled. He, he ultimately triumphed. 14 verse 6. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Hold on. Understand what's taking place now. A number of years has transpired. Forty-five years, as a matter of fact. Forty years they've wandered in the wilderness because of their rebellion and disobedience. Matter of fact, in the book of Hebrews, the Bible tells us they entered not into the land because of unbelief. They didn't trust God. Caleb did. And when Caleb trusted, he was given a promise. Forty years... 45 years later now, Caleb goes to Joshua after they've entered into the land, after they've conquered a big portion of the land. And he says, now it's time to start dividing the inheritances. You remember the promise that Moses, the man of God, made to me. You remember what God said he would do for me because I was faithful, because I had another spirit, because I trusted in God when everyone else departed and turned their back. Now it's time to pay up. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me, verse 7, from Gadesh Barnea to espy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swear on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance. And thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive. As he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness and said, Now, lo, I am this day four score five years old. Forty, forty, excuse me, four score and five. He is eighty-five years old. And now watch this. This is amazing. As yet, I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. What? When you were forty? Now you're 85, and you're just as strong today at 85 as you were when you were 40? That's exactly what he said. And by the way, this guy did not have an inflated ego. If you had tangled with this man, Caleb, at 85 years old, there's not a young person, there's not a person in this room, I don't care how much karate you know, he would take you out. This was a warrior right here, buddy. This man right here did not play. There might be a few 85-year-olds in this room that might take you out. But anyway, the fact is, is that this man for sure... Watch this. This was a warrior here. He's going to take on some giants even. He goes on and says, yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me, as my strength was then, so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. Give me this mountain, whereof the Lord uh, spake in this, that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there. Remember the Anakims. Remember we talked about them. Who were they? They're giants. They were the ones everyone was afraid of. Caleb says, I'm 85. Send me to those giants. I'll kill them all. I'm not afraid of no giant. 85 years old. I'm just strong as I was when I was 40. He says, send me now how the Anakims were there and the cities were great and fenced. If so be, the Lord will be with me. Then I shall be able to drive them out. As the Lord said, if the Lord be with me. I think he's with you, Caleb. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb the son of Jephunah Hebron, for an inheritance. I want that mountain, he said. I want that mountain that God promised me way back there. If I'd only trust him, if I'd trust him today, he'd give me a mountain tomorrow. It's time to cash in. Caleb trusted. And now he has a treasure. But his trust came 45 years earlier. And for 45 years, he just kept believing. And now here he is, 85 years old, entering into that promised land, possessing the inheritance that God had promised him. Let me just wrap this up real quick. Do you realize that God has an inheritance for each and every one of us? God wants each and every one of us to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and ultimately enter into the promised land or to heaven. God wants every one of us to make our way from this world, the wilderness world, into literally paradise. But you know what? The world says that's impossible. Nobody can make their way to heaven. No, I don't know what you're supposed to do. I I guess I'll trust or do the best I can then. I'll just see what I can do about that. So I'll live a good life. I'll give my best. I'll try to help other people. Hopefully the good will outweigh the bad. And God in his mercy and loving grace will allow me into heaven one day. Will let me pass on into paradise. That's how the world views it it. deals with it. How do you know for sure? Uh, Are you going to heaven? Yeah, I think so. Hope so. Why? Because I'm doing my best. I'm trying my hardest. I'm trying to please God, I guess. I'm not hurting anybody. You need to do the same thing Caleb did. He would have never entered into that paradise or that promised land. He'd have never received the inheritance that God promised him, except he he did that one thing 45 years earlier. You know what he did? trusted God you got to put your trust in the Lord for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life it's not about your counsel your wisdom your understanding your abilities your strength it's about him believing on the Lord Jesus Christ Caleb could have essentially said, 45 years ago, I believed that the Lord would deliver me into that land. And now here I am, 45 years later, standing in it. And may I say, unless you make a decision that you're going to settle your salvation, and you're going to trust Christ and His shed blood on Calvary, and His sacrifice on that tree, and His resurrected power to get you into that eternal bliss, until you make the decision to let Him pay for your sin... And to provide you the means to enter into that city, you will never get there. It's trusting Him. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Today, you have a decision to make. Who will you trust? Caleb made the decision. When all the odds were against him, when all the family said, You're nuts for believing in God. When all the others said, You're crazy for trusting God. He'll, you'll never get to that place. Nobody knows how to get to heaven. Nobody can know for sure. Caleb said, you know what? All I know is what God promised. God's the one that promised me. He said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's the one who said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I I hear what you're saying, family member. I hear what you're saying, friend. I hear what you're saying, world. But what I know is what God says, and I believe Him, and I trust Him. And I'm going to trust Him with my life. I'm going to trust Him with my eternity today. Because ultimately, ultimately, I want to triumph. I want to triumph. And you can triumph too. But you have to first trust Him. Has there been a day, a time, a place when you trusted Christ as your Savior? When you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord? Because if there hasn't been that specific time, and my friend, you may travel 45 more years in this life, but you will never end up in the promised land. You have to trust Him at some point in this life if you want to enjoy the blessings of the next. Father, we come to You. We thank You, Lord, for Your simple truths, the fact that You love us, You died for us, You paid for our sin, that You gave Yourself on Calvary, shedding Your blood to make reconciliation for us. Provide us reconciliation. Father, we ask, Lord, that there be any in this room that have yet to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that they would do that. Father, it's not a matter of trying to be good enough. It's simply trusting, like Caleb did. Simply trusting. The Lord Jesus. And Lord, because he trusted, he was able to travel. And ultimately triumph. Father, help us, Lord, to triumph in the end. And that will only happen when we put our faith in you. Father, bless now in this time of invitation. With every head bowed, let me ask, do you know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven? Do you have it settled? Have you trusted the Lord Jesus? Has there been a time, a place when you remember doing just that? If not, why don't you settle it today? Don't leave here without Christ as your Lord, your Savior. Every head bowed. Let me ask you: Do you know for sure, or would you have to say, Preacher, I don't have it settled. I don't know for sure. Would you let me pray for you if that's the case? And with an uplifted hand, I'll pray for you. Just lift it up, put it down, put it up, put it down. Let me pray for you. I, won't, I can't see that good, but I'll probably see a hand waving. I won't be able to see your face probably. I got to admit that. But I'll pray for you. That hand that goes up. I don't have it settled. I don't know for sure if I die. I go to heaven, Preacher. Please pray for me. Anybody like that? Please let me pray for you. Would you let me? Would you give me that opportunity and privilege? Anybody? Father, we come to you, we thank you, Father, for just those that, Father, see a need, that express a desire, that, Father, realize that they need Christ. Father, help us as believers to trust you as well every day of our life, to never cease believing that, Lord, you're there for us, you'll be with us, you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Help us, Lord, to always, always look forward to that triumph, realizing that, Father, that eternal inheritance is ours in Christ Jesus. Now bless these thy people, and Lord, for those that do not know for sure, may they settle it today in this time of invitation. May they simply get up out of their seat and confidently, courageously step out into the closest aisle and come forward and allow someone to take a Bible, the Word of God, and show them how they can know for sure heaven's their home. We'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed.